The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. All right, the end of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 12 through 28. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May God bless the reading of his word. For those of you that are guests of ours, my name is Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here and grateful to get a chance to teach through the end of First Thessalonians. Um, this is the last Sunday in this letter. And to be honest with you, I feel like we rushed it. Um, and so don't be surprised if you find it coming back in the near future, because there's some, some things that I really want to make sure that we absorb. But two reasons that I'm going to be quick as I can this morning. One is they still haven't fixed our air conditioner fully in here. So as soon as you guys start singing, the room heats up and we can't cool it back down. So uh, next Sunday, don't sing. I mean, just sing. Yes. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but then we also want to be sensitive to parents with children um, and make sure that uh, they leave with a joyous spirit amongst them as well. Um, let's pray. Father, we want the spirit of the living God to totally inhabit us this morning. Uh, we want it to control our thoughts. We, we submit our, our, our minds to you right now. Father, we want it to like encourage our hearts. So Lord, we give you our heart right now. And Lord, those of us that are just weary, Lord, we pray that your spirit can, can strengthen us. Lord, we know that we are the temple of the living God. And Lord, I pray that you would allow this morning um, the power of your spirit to inhabit the practice that we've already done. Father, we know that we participate in our faith with you. Um, there is so much that you do for us, but it works so much better when we work in conjunction with your spirit. And so, Lord, would we fully work with you today, and would you shape us into the image of Jesus? And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let me run through a couple of things in the letter for those of you that have not heard any of the teachings. The, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonia was a passionate love letter from a dear mentor to people that had experienced rich intimacy. I can't, I can't underestimate that enough in this letter. It wasn't like as if you got a letter from one of your professors in college that taught you chemistry. 
That's not the impact of this. I want you to imagine what it would look like to have lived with a mentor for months of your life, that the pressures of life were, you were in it together constantly, and so not only was what you were being taught ministering to your spirit, you were also going through life challenges together, and it was almost like you were being solidified into this intimate family, and then it just was ripped apart. Like Paul was forced out and Timothy were forced out away from them because the people didn't want them to lose their lives. And so Paul is months later writing this letter back to them and you feel his love for these people. You feel his desire to see the work of God complete, but you also see in him that they um, have been working out their faith and they've been executing things in their faith with excellence and he wants to encourage them with it. And he says to them, you did not come to believe in Jesus by accident. And I think that is so important. I wish we almost could meditate on that for the rest of the day, is that you and your faith in God is not by accident. There is purpose in your faith. There's a reason why you are here, the reason why you believe in Jesus. And I think that is something that's powerful in that when we can hold on to that. I also want us to remember in here that Paul was fervently praying for them. We as a church must continue to learn to pray. I can't be the only one to say to you, hey, I'm praying for you. Imagine what it would look like for you to have the confidence to know that everybody sitting around you right now was praying for you. What would that do for our faith if we had the confidence to know that people around us were praying for us? Paul goes on to say to them, look, it's better for you to be a sermon than to hear a sermon. It's basically what he's saying to them. Then he goes on in dealing with things like sexual temptation, money, saying you need to be self-giving in your love. You don't need to be takers in your love. You need to be self-giving. He gives them joy to be able to focus on areas of grief because people around them were dying regularly, not just from illnesses, but from the hands of persecution. And these people were dealing with the grief of great loss and tragedy, not only because of the loss of life, but some of them were losing their homes and their property because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And he gives them peace and comfort to say, Jesus has you. He's gonna, he, he, is, he has the whole, his hands on all of those that have already gone ahead of you, and you need to be confident in that, and he's going to be with you. And then he has this incredible plea for them to stay awake and to live as people of light, not as people of darkness. And it's just a beautiful analogy of where that has all come from. So today, how does he end this letter? I believe that one of the best ways for me to make this clear and as simple as I possibly can, how many of you in here ever learned a different language? You speak a different language. Any of you confidently hold your hand up? I mean, you might be like, well, I don't want anybody to think I know a different language, but if you can speak two languages in this room, raise your hand, okay? All right, so I want you to understand this. There is one thing for you to grow up in a language, because before you're three or four years old, you are speaking sentences in a language where you know nothing about grammar, right? You, a child can share a sentence with you without knowing what the noun and verb and pronouns and adjectives and adverbs and all those things that are in a sentence and structure a sentence. And then they even many times can start to formulate paragraphs and not even understand the difference between um, a declaration or um, an interrogative question, or they don't, they can't, they can't speak those kind of terms. But yet, when you hear their inflection, you know when there's an exclamation at the end of their sentence versus a period. 
You know by their inflection if they're asking you a question or if they're demanding something of you, right? It's innate in our... But yet I believe that Paul is saying to them, there is a language that you must learn. And he's saying that so the analogy of growing up in it is one thing, but the desire of learning a new language is totally different. For instance, when I took French, which I cannot speak any French anymore, okay, I just want you to say, don't any of you come up to me and try to talk to me, I will Google translate you as best I can, all right? But what I, what I will share in this is that much like we have things like I before E except after C, there's things in other languages when you're learning it because when you learn a second language, you many times have to learn the grammar and the vocabulary, like vocabulary words. You learn the, um, the, the alphabet. So here, here's an example uh, of a song. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z. Now I know my ABCs. Next time, won't you sing with me? A, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but are there any songs like that that any of you learned in a different language to help you, say, learn Spanish or learn French or learn Creole or whatever it is? Any of you guys have a child song that you would be passionate, able to stand up and sing right now in a different language? Don't leave me hanging. Oh, come on. You know, you know, that's the first time I ever sang a solo in our church, and you're going to not bag me up. All right. Who is it? What is it? What is it? Is it? Can it be as simple as I before E except after C? So maybe, have you guys ever heard this before? Somebody, somebody's like, yeah, like, like, hey, soul sister. You know, it's like, yeah, looking across. All right. Okay. So am, am I, are you feeling it? Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? All right. So take all of that smiles that are on your face right now and realize there is a language of heaven. We don't speak it naturally. There is a language of the kingdom of God that is not something that it just automatically comes. Some of you have an unfair advantage of others because you grew up in a home where parents were learning it or grandparents were learning the language, and so they did teach you some things at a young age. Others of you are much older and have never heard about God's language, God talk, and all this kind of stuff. And I believe that, that, that Paul here to this church is giving them rhythms, cadences, children's songs, um, that his version of I before E except after C, so that it could get into their heart. Like this morning, I um, asked Josie to put a slide up from one of the songs this morning. We can't get more simple in our faith than this. I love you with all of my heart. I love you with all of my mind. I love you with all of my strength. I love you with everything. Imagine what this week could look like if in the morning when your alarm went off, you immediately rolled out of bed and got down on your knees next to your bed and all you said was that. And that's how you started your day. Could it not be more simple? Could there not be a childish way of approaching God that could be filled with power? is for us to say, I love you with all of my heart. 
I love you with all of my mind, and I love you with all of my strength. I love you with everything. And then we just sat there. I mean, that covers all of our petitions. That covers all of our desire for the day, all the intent of our heart for the day. And Paul, I believe, has as his desire for them, the goal is to get the language into our heart. The goal for Paul for this church in Thessalonia was to drive in all of the things about Jesus into their heart. And why would we do that? I've had, um, when I was in Guatemala, one of the guys that um, travels with us, Henry, was talking to me about Spanish. He speaks excellent English, which makes it so easy for me to interact with him. But he shared with me that when you master his language or when he started mastering English, that he started dreaming in that language. And now I want, some of you are smiling because you know what that's like. Like you, 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 You've learned a language so much. How many of you have learned two languages so well that you use both languages in the same sentence and you don't realize that you're doing it and the other person's like, what did you say, right? It just comes out of you and it's like your heart is trying to decide which language comes out now and which language comes out. And I want you guys to understand that we have to drive the language of God into our heart so that it always pours out. Because there's language in the spirit of this world that's inside of us that sometimes when we let the life and the pressures and all the things that Paul has been talking about to this church, about the persecution and the false teaching and the sexual temptations and the use of financial resources and all the things that he's talked to them about and spoken to them about, about the Jesus coming back and Jesus being Lord and and us exuding Christ, we have to be disciplined to drive the language of God deep down into our hearts. And I believe that this church in Thessalonia, Paul wanted them to learn this new language. He wanted them to understand that Jesus as king had a culture and a language that he wanted to pervade from his culture. And so he simplified some things for them. He wanted them to learn to speak in such a way and to act in such a way that no matter the circumstances, it overflowed from what was in their heart. And I actually put that on a slide for you because I'd love for you just to let that marinate on you. Some of you right now, if we were to stand up and call out our circumstances on a scale of one to 10, you would be on a 10 pressure scale. You have been going through it and it has been difficult. Others, you are like, I'm at the best of my life. And whether you're at the worst of your experiences or the best of your experiences, the temptation is is to not need God. People that are in the worst of their circumstances are like, where are you? I'm giving up on you. I'm going to look for something else. And the people that are in the best of their life are like, man, things are so good. I don't even think about God because I'm self-sufficient. And the danger is, is that we need God in all of it because the end goal isn't me being built up, but is that I'm learning to self-give like Jesus because if we have a Lord Jesus Christ, he's not just good for me, he's good for others. And we've got to get to the point where we are feeling more and more comfortable letting people know that the Jesus we love and serve is good for them too. And so there's three things that Paul does in this chapter to end his letter that I think are really important that work alongside the Holy Spirit to get the new language fully inside of our heart. And the first thing that he mentions at the, at the beginning of verse 12 is through careful Christian teaching and leaders, he is driving the new language of the kingdom into you and I. That's why he spends so much time saying to this church, value your local leaders. Value those that are teaching you. 
because you don't understand the hard work it is to teach somebody a new language. Some of you do teach language, and you're like, yep, I get it. It's hard. People don't do their homework. People don't think about it all the time. People aren't laboring in it like you would want them to. And there's a burden on local teachers and pastors and elders that are trying to point people to the language of the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying to them, you need to show them great honor and, and, and follow after them. And then he goes on to say, and um, continuing on in the verses um, 13 and all the way through to verse 19, the mutual influence of the whole community. Can I tell you guys this? It's time for us to mature in, in talking to each other. Now, one of the things that we're really good at is getting people that think like us around us, and that's dangerous. Because some of you don't have the ability to discern what's right or wrong, and you get with other people that immediately agree with you, and before long, it just spreads something that's not true. But there are so many verses in this last chapter that are just short and powerful. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for a wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other. He's going on and on and on, and he's not saying this to the local leaders. He's saying this to everybody that makes up the church is we've got to have a mutual influence with one another that is for the benefit of the whole community. And then I I think the thing that he does here is he gives memory aids. I think it's really important that you realize that there are places in the scriptures that you can go to and you can memorize, and if you memorize them and they get into your heart, your days are going to get a little bit more stable no matter what you're facing because we need to be able to remember them could you, what would it look like if every day we just took 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 19, and we just read it every morning? Okay, rejoice in the Lord always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Wait a minute, give thanks in all circumstances? Like, we don't have to chew on that a little bit. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ, and don't quench the Spirit. Okay, so could you imagine if that was just the bumpers that we put by our day? And every day, we just memorized it. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all of our circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and don't quench the Spirit. Okay, I can do this. It's easy, it's memorizable, and it drives in the other truths and the things that we've experienced. And I think it's really important. But Paul's final charge here at the end, I love it, is masked in his prayer life. Guys, can I say this again? We have got to get comfortable forming sentences towards our Father in heaven. That's called prayer. At some point, you and I have got to get to the point where whomever you love the most in this world, that your natural conversation flows out to them, that some level God feels the same way with us. Where we can sit under a tree and talk to God whether it's for 10 minutes or for hours, or we can walk along the harbor on a cooler day and talk to God for hours, or just to wake up in the morning and say, it is so good to wake up with you. There's an intimacy with God that I believe that Paul's trying to drive deep into the heart of these Thessalonians, and he, he does it masterfully here at the end. And the thing, the thing that Blake and Olivia shared in leading this morning was this idea of calling out to God who you need him to be, Do you guys know what what the name of God that that Paul used the most? Here in this end of this passage, he talks about it. It's the faithful God. Now, go back to Acts for a minute. How many times was Paul shipwrecked? 
How many times was Paul in prison? How many times did he lack or feel flogged or beaten nearly to death? More than most of us in this room. Let's just go ahead and say it that way. And the name that he refers to God more than any other name is your faithful. What? (laughs) Seriously? In the midst of all that Paul went through, you would think that he's a healer God to Paul. Like, you put my bruises back. You you know, my arm that was dislocated? Thank you for healing that. You know, the the marks of the chains from two years and a hole in the ground? You healed me from that. The God that's with me in prison, that, it's not. He, he's like faithful. God was faithful to him. God is faithful to us. And I believe that that's something that we need to walk away from the ending of this letter with, is that his theme throughout the letter is God is faithful. And he reminds them in the end, through this prayer and through this encouragement, that they need to be people of prayer. They need to be fellowshipping with one another and teaching and, and, and falling into the teachings of God. So we can't neglect those things because it gets down deep into the heart. I love the way that N.T. Wright wrote a summary of 1 Thessalonians, and I want to read it out loud to you. It's going to be on the screen. Um, N.T. Wright says this, Looking back over the letter, we can see how Paul brings together his personal involvement with the Thessalonians and his determination that they shall be grounded in faith, hope, and love. That's a very unique word choice. All right, I want you guys to hear this. He's not just writing them a letter about God. The tone of the letter is that Paul is determined for them to understand what it is like to be grounded in faith, hope, and love. And then he goes on to say, the word of God which he preached, Paul, from the beginning, through which God worked powerfully to create a church and build it up, is now to continue its work both through Paul's own writings and through the teaching of local leaders. This will sustain them through the suffering they are already undergoing because of their allegiance to Jesus Christ as King and Lord. Do you guys hear that? That's been the tone of the letter. He's been saying to them, this truth I am giving you will sustain you through that suffering. He's not saying this truth will remove you from the suffering. It will sustain you. And he goes on to say, Paul has taken great care to set before them the hope that through the turbulent times that will come upon the whole world, God's kingdom and glory will be revealed and Jesus Christ himself will at last appear again to vindicate his people and bring them ultimate comfort and salvation. I'm holding fast to this hope. They are to allow God's work and, um, and of making them his holy people to have its full effect. To have its full effect. Could you imagine what Baltimore could be like if the 2,000 churches that are meeting this morning in our city, the, whole, the Spirit had full effect on those churches. Imagine what it would look like if Jesus was the, the end result of everybody that went to church today and we all left church more like Jesus. There's approximately 18,000 people going to church in Baltimore today. Approximately, that might be a little high. Um, it seems low when you're in a city of 650, 650,000 people, but we only have about 2% of people in our city go to church on Sunday. And so with that being shared, let me just say to us as a church, what would it look like just for us to walk out of this building more like Jesus today? What if we were solid in our faith, affirmed in our hope, and we were ready to excel at love? I just couldn't imagine what could take place in us. And so as we get ready to close, we're going to come to the Lord's table like we normally do. 
we're going to come to the table because we need to be reminded of the great love of God, and there is no clearer picture of the sacrifice that God has for us than the Lord's table. But we also come to the table because you and I have got to get comfortable to, to move from just knowing about Jesus to being a person that shares about Jesus. And so when we come to this table, we speak the words to one another as a reminder that I must be a proclaimer of Jesus Christ. I must tell people this good news. But I also know that there are a lot of you going through hardships, and we have some people from our prayer team and some of our elders that will be around the room ready to pray for you. So I encourage you today to come to them, look them in the face and say, I need to be strengthened in my faith, I need to be affirmed in my hope, and I need to excel at love. And just let them pray over you. Or if you are facing a trial of any kind, you need healing in Jesus' name, I encourage you to come to them and let them pray for you. But this is also a great time for us to continue to share in our generosity. This is when we generally collect an offering for those of you that don't give online. And let me just tell you guys this. God has been using you not only for us to recover financially as a church from a really hard winter, but we have been allowed to help people in great need. And I, I cannot wait to continue to share with you more and more about what your resources are doing. But God is at work amongst us. And the thing that I love about it is, is there's no one person carrying the bill. Like there is not one massive giver in our church. Now I wouldn't mind it, okay? But there is a shared load. And I love that because we are helping to take care of each other. And we're learning more and more fully to do that. And so let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now with the spirit of the way Paul ended this. We want your spirit to have full effect in us. We want to work with you to get the image of Jesus out of us to other people. Father, we are grateful for the ways that you've loved us, grateful for the ways that you've spoken truth to us. And Father, we don't want to hold on to that selfishly. We want other people to be set free. And so, Father, would you work in us in a powerful way today? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.